When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I started twerking last night. Dunno, just did. Was listening to the Radio Wolfgang app. Downloaded it, listened to it, real cool, you know. And the urge just took me to twerk. No, I was terrible, obviously. Come on. You could get caught in the cold, but... I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates. And to NASA. And to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. The thing that I get asked the most is when. When are we going to go? And my answer to that is, when would you like to go? 30 seconds and counting. Astronauts report it feels good. T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. Strap yourselves in. We're going to Mars. Not just a few astronauts. Thousands of people are going to colonize Mars. And I am telling you that they're going to do this soon. But first I want to discuss the obvious question. Why the heck should we do this? In terms of the mission, do you have any fears? No, I'm German. We don't feel fear. Well, it's a tough one. As a, as a doctor, you're accustomed to high-stress environments, matters of life and death on a daily basis. But uh, yeah, no, I'm very confident that we're gonna, we're gonna kick some Martian ass. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Well, the coolest thing about Mars is that it is in many ways Earth-like, but it's definitely alien and different. So what I personally think is the most interesting thing about that planet is that it's like a window into our own past. What I really want to try to uh, achieve here is to make Mars seem possible, uh, make it seem as though it's something that we can do in our lifetimes. If nothing else, you have to maintain for your own sanity and your own survival, a connection, that singular golden thread of connection back to humanity. They don't have to be on Earth, they just have to be another person. And the entirety of the Martian is a man alone in space trying not to be alone. <laughs> Mark Watney is still alive. In your face, Neil Armstrong. Welcome to Science-ish. We are back in the studio, in our home, having been on the road, as you know, uh, absolutely nailing, uh, I think nailing is, yeah, that's fair, nailing two live shows, one at the Science Museum, which was, I mean, it was really mind-blowing, 
Uh, and then one at the British Science Festival in Swansea. And I am joined, as always, by one of the great mavericks of the science world, Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. There he is. Um, how are you, Brooks? Are you all right? I'm very well. Yeah, yeah. Very excited to be back here. It's lovely, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It feels, feels right. As you know, with Science-ish, every episode we take a work of fiction and then discuss the science within it, unpick it. So this time we're going to be looking at Ridley Scott's The Martian. Um, and The Martian it was uh, 2000... When did it come out? 2015? I want to say 2014. 14. But I may be wrong. It's the kind of thing that it's worth <laughs> us checking. <laughs> we should have checked that. <laughs> Let's say it was definitely in the 2014-2000. Yeah. Somet- oh, sometime um, in the last it decade. Was, it was 2015. I was right. <clears throat> no, you weren't right. You didn't say I that. Said, I said, what? Did you? I didn't say 2015. Did you? Well, I did. All right. We'll, re- we'll rewind the tape and check that later. Mm, no need. I'm telling you what happened. So, 2015 film based on the, I do know this, 2011 science fiction novel written by Andy Weir. Michael, you absolutely love space, famously. Yes. I'm assuming you've seen the film. I do love space, though I'm not planning to go there, which we'll get into later. Mm. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I've no one's I... invited you. <laughs> no, it's no. sort of a key thing, isn't it? <laughs> and I don't think you've got the money. No, no. All the right stuff. Absolutely love this film. Uh, I wish I'd read the book, actually, because friends tell me that the book is even better than the film. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and he sort of crowdsourced the book. So, so he put the sort of chapters out there, and then experts came in and sort of said, "Oh no, that's not quite right. You know, you want to change this and do that." And so, actually, the book is really scientifically quite on it, and uh, and the film is pretty good too. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, superb film. If you haven't uh, seen I, it, go and watch it for yeah, God's sake. Do go and watch it um, because we are about to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm you fact, what happens? Press pause right now. I think I read that he Andy Weir sort of devised his own sort of trajectory program at some point yeah, um, to, yeah to make sure that he was uh, he was getting everything right and yeah. just sort of had it had a simulation on his computer yeah that's uh, i mean that's uh, you know, above and beyond yeah from him yeah you won't get that in any of my books uh no no um and that is why i try not to read any of your books <laughs> apart from the one we're going to be writing together <laughs> of course i will read <laughs> do you want to do a rundown of the of the plot yeah so matt damon's character a guy called Mark Watney. Uh, he's a botanist. He's working on Mars with his crew, and there's a big storm, and they're worried the ship's going to their, their sort of uh, launcher. What's it called? Lander is going to take off. Yeah. Or going to topple over. I should start that again. No, I, I like when you're <laughs> desperately trying to work out the difference between a lander and a launcher. <laughs> so they're worried that their ship, which is going to get them back to Earth, is going to fall it a over. Or a launcher? <laughs> it's going to fall over in the storm. And uh, so they're sort of watching it, trying to get back on board. He gets hit by a piece of broken antenna uh, that leaves him sort of stranded. His life support system packs up and they think he's dead and they leave him on Mars. Absolute bloody nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, um, not the result he was looking for. And, and it's sort of interesting that he's a, he's a botanist because if he hadn't been a botanist, so if one of the other crew members had been stranded, they would have been proper fucked, wouldn't they? Well, you say that, but how hard is it really to grow vegetables? Mm, yeah, it's fairly disrespectful to botanists, <laughs> I think. Also, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing here, Michael, it's probably not as easy growing vegetables on Mars as it is on Earth. No, and as someone who's never grown a vegetable in his life, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But, you know, I mean, I, I think everybody knows... <laughs> never that you, let that stop you. <laughs> you need soil, uh, you need fertiliser, you need oxygen, uh, you need, you know, I mean, you need carbon dioxide. It's, you know, it's all there. It's all, all, the, all, the, nece- <laughs> all the necessary resources Okay, so there. sorry. So, it, well, it doesn't matter that he's a botanist. That's no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, he could have, uh, yeah, fine. Are you, are you telling me a physicist wouldn't know how to, how to sort this out? Yeah, I think I'm saying that a physicist is going to struggle in that situation i think they are like he he like he was um <laughs> it all looked very neat and very well arranged what he was doing <laughs> i think i'd just panic <laughs> and that's a, a separate issue actually yeah, yeah, <laughs> panic aside i'm not sure i would have the um the green fingers required or maybe on that planet the red fingers thank you uh, to um to produce enough crops to survive for however many days it is 
like quite a lot of days. Look, I mean, you know, fair play to him. He did. I'm very saying, well. I think you'd die, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd die, and you'd be curled With up your in the corner. Physics. <laughs> you'd be curled up in the corner, rocking back and forth, saying, "I am going to die." Actually, no. I think I would uh, start. I mean, no, no disrespect here. Uh, start off by thinking, is there any way I can get any protein? And there is, by eating you. <laughs> so unlucky. Okay. Right, never ever send us both to Mars, NASA. Uh, yeah, if you're listening, NASA, and <laughs> that was probably on your agenda. <laughs> but what about those guys who do sciences? Would they be good up there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, does it matter that neither of them are botanists? Definitely not. Uh, one's a physicist, that'll do. Yeah, your quantum physics is not going to help us up there. No, I will concede that point. Okay, thank you. You mentioned that the the, the guy who wrote the book crowdsourced a load of kind of science from scientists, and the film the film basically gets a lot of stuff spot on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does really well. I mean, it's yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are looking at it and and you know, even at NASA and saying this is actually a, a pretty good simulation of what you know situations you're going to have to be prepared for when we go. Which bits, because I know that this is the kind of film that um, online endlessly people will kind of analyse and say, oh, well, that doesn't look likely. Yeah. Um, I assume there are a few things that people have uh, flagged up. Let's go over those quickly. Just well, yeah, I hate, I hate the nitpickers. Let me just be clear. From, you know, because this is a film, you have to set up a premise. You, you know, obviously, you have to have the story moving ahead. So there's certain things you can't quite you know, get right, and there might be plot devices... Uh, so the storm is one of them. So mm. people have said, yeah, but actually the Martian atmosphere is really quite thin. So the, the Martian atmosphere is actually about 1% of the Earth's atmosphere in terms of thickness. Mm. So if you get high winds, you know, you don't actually have a lot of air blowing in your face or, mm. or you know, it, it's sort of, it's it's fairly survivable. I mean, you know, somebody said you could fly a kite in there, but you won't knock a spaceship over with the wind. But actually, I would beg to differ on that one because there was a Mars 3 lander that the Russians sent up, which landed on Mars and then started transmitting. 20 seconds later, it stopped transmitting and they think it blew over. So it might might just be... I mean, it might have just fallen over, of course. Mm. But, you know... It might have just done that thing where it sort of landed and one of its feet is just on a, on a, <laughs> on a rock. Yeah. And it's just sort of just a bit overbalanced. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, there well, is... That was in the 70s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. Mm. But anyway, so that's that's one of the things. You know, and the, the spacecraft itself, people have said, oh, it looks too fancy. Nothing that we send up will look that fancy. But I think that is really scraping the barrel as far as nitpicking goes. It does look quite like quite a nice ship. But then, I mean, at some point, if you are sending people up and they're on it for a long time, you're going to want to try and make it relatively yeah. comfortable, aren't you? I, I, you would hope the, so, the wouldn't you? The size of it was the only thing that I thought it looked a bit big yeah yeah it's unlikely to be you know deluxe mm. but you know for Hollywood you you want it to look a bit futuristic and fun and nice to be on and you want it to be visual you want it to be good to look at so that's all right and the other thing was that gravity is actually a third of the gravity on earth mm. so um you know it's not that much effort to sort of climb up a ladder or whatever you know which they you see them doing and mm. sort of struggling to do so um yeah, there's a couple of things, but God, that is real nitpicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the the gist, anyway, is that it's pretty realistic. Um, it's pretty accurate. And we are going to go to Mars, aren't we? <laughs> that's that's, that's not, what not, some people reckon. We, but That's what some people reckon, that, that humans are going to go to Mars... And we, you know, people will go so far as to say we're going to colonize Mars. We're going yeah. to set up a you know a hundred person colony, and do God knows what up there. Yeah, not grow potatoes, that's for sure. I think that there might be a bit of potato growing involved, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, but I mean, people are now giving. They're not just sort of saying yes, yeah, sometime in the future. Like NASA have said it'll be in the twenty thirties. Yeah. Elon Musk, um, who's obviously an absolute baller, is saying twenty twenty two, just so punchy. Yeah. Um, what, what do you reckon? I reckon 2030s. I, I think there's no way Musk is going to get that together for the 2020s. 2020 isn't that far away, is it? You know, we're talking, you know, within the next 10 years, a colony on Mars. I don't think so. But uh, is he saying colony on Mars by 2022 or is he saying people on Mars? By uh, probably, yeah. I think he's the small people print. on Mars. Okay. That feels. Uh, th- th- that doesn't I mean, feel the doable point is to me. That he's got absolutely truckloads of money. <laughs> um, and, and then you've got sort of him. Like egging on, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos and and uh, and Blue Blue Origin, who also have loads of money, who also want to do it, 
and it feels like you've got this sort of little like private space race yeah. that is accelerating it much more quickly than than it would do if it was just NASA. That's true. If it's up to NASA, you know, 2030s, 2040s for sure. Mm. So they, you know, if we've decided that's what we want to do, you know, we send all kinds of spacecraft up there. Um, so, you know, it's not a problem to get there, I guess. Uh, there's a launch window, I think, in the early 2020s, which is why mm. um, Musk is aiming for that. Yeah. And and then every other launch window that comes, he wants to be sending craft up. So so he's serious. I just find it hard to believe that you can really get the technology together for that. You know, landing on Mars is not easy. And if you've got people on board, you cannot get it wrong. Like the European Space Agency just got it wrong, for instance. Ah, uh, yeah. What what did they do? They um, <laughs> they. they... I, I, I don't know why this makes me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> it is funny. It, this is people's entire careers down yeah. the drain. Oh, there's a few people getting sacked. I mean, there should be. <laughs> so, so this Who is... is in charge of the parachutes? And then one poor bastard. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep, yep. He's off sick today. <laughs> <laughs> and every other day. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the Schiaparelli lander from the, the new European Space Agency orbiter you know, mm. so the orbiter's working fine it's going around mars all right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the lander unfortunately was lost uh just before impact uh in that it just made itself a new crater mm. because the parachutes uh would uh, i think ejected too soon mm-hmm. so it just sort of let go of the parachutes when it was mm-hmm. only halfway down mm-hmm. and the retro rockets that were supposed to slow it to a standstill just above the surface uh, they only fired for about five seconds instead of mm. the 30 seconds that was required so that was that so gone just absolutely honed it into <laughs> <Yeah>. the surface <laughs> the funny thing i mean it's not funny none of this is funny don't get me wrong but the funny, no, no, it is funny. <laughs> the funny thing is that um the the uh the crater that matt damon is aiming to get to to get picked up in four years' time after mm-hmm. he's been left. It's called the Schiaparelli Crater. And this uh, this, <laughs> this lander is the Schiaparelli Lander. And it's just created a new Schiaparelli well, Crater. That is good. <laughs> <laughs> Launch windows. Is this about our proximity to Mars? So obviously that yeah. changes quite drastically. Yeah, so as the, the two planets, Earth and Mars, they move around the sun. You know, sometimes they're closer, sometimes they're further away. There are times when it's about 34 million miles, and that's that's kind of when you've got to go for it, if you mm-hmm. can, uh, because it just cuts the journey time down so much. You know, Journey time isn't a huge problem if you've got just robots or whatever on board. If you've got people on board, and they're going to spend sort of a few months on on that journey in a mm-hmm. small tin can, mm-hmm. you want to keep that as low as possible, really, that yeah. time. Yeah, because uh, on average we're we're over a hundred million miles. Yeah, miles, right? average is about like one hundred and forty million miles. Yeah, which and is that, a long just, way. That is too far. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. immediately looking at that and thinking, no. Yeah, no. yeah. I looked at um, I've got to go to Liverpool at the weekend. And I looked at the <laughs> driving time is uh, four hours in good traffic, and I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm definitely not going one hundred and forty million miles. No, can you imagine just like that that moment before launch when they say, okay. Is everybody sure they want to do this? Mm. <laughs> and you're just like, do you know what? No, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> I just think I'm going to miss loads of stuff. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Um, so I think we can agree that there will be a manned Mars mission. Yes. Um, so our first question, finally, is we're going, but how exactly are we going to get there? <laughs> Progress doesn't come overnight. Long before you achieve your dream, you'll have to make the decision to start the journey. You take a step and another. Each day your journey will bring you closer to your dream. be difficult but carry on and one day you'll be there professor tom pike from imperial college london so mars 2020 is going to be a uh, in, in some ways quite familiar it's going to be a refly of the 2012 mars science laboratory rover this is a nuclear powered rover with a very long lifetime the payload though is going to be quite different in some aspects Um, nasa as always when we go to mars there is a lot of interest in looking at the 
the habitability, the potential habitability for past and maybe uh, present life on Mars. But on top of that, what the 2020 uh, rover is going to have on board are the first steps towards exploration. And that means human exploration of Mars. And the critical point, if you're going to have any long-term mission on Mars, is to be able to produce oxygen for breathing and also oxygen for propulsion. Because One of the big problems with sending humans or, in fact, getting anything back from Mars is that you essentially have to send a rocket to Mars on a rocket to get you back. That was a big enough challenge with the Apollo program. It's going to be a a real challenge, an order of magnitude more difficult with Mars because it's got a much higher gravity that you have to escape from. And one of the biggest mass burdens that you have to take on your back to Mars is the rocket fuel to get you back from Mars. Mars One will establish human settlement on Mars in 2023. In that year, the first group of four humans will land on Mars. Every two years after that, another group will join the settlement. Mars One has designed a mission that is much simpler than previous designs for Mars missions. The most significant simplification is that the crew is actually going to stay and live on Mars with the intention to remain there for the rest of their lives. Amazon CEO and space entrepreneur Jeff Bezos is celebrating an historic achievement. He says his rocket company, Blue Origin, successfully flew a a vehicle into space and then made a control landing back at the launch site. His new Shepard becomes the world's first fully reusable rocket. Bezos calls that accomplishment a game changer. He joins us now from the launch site in West Texas. You've seen a lot of rockets take off in your time, but you've never seen one land. And all the rockets that we've ever flown as uh, as a civilization have been expendable. We use them one time and we throw them away. The rocket you're seeing behind me is completely reusable. That's a game changer because it changes the cost structure of space travel completely. Falcon Heavy, we'll be able to put uh, uh, basically well over 100,000 pounds uh, into orbit. Uh, this, is a, this is a rocket of, of truly huge scale. America is, this is something America can be really proud of, the fact that there's actually going to be a vehicle twice the capability of the, of the space shuttle. Basically, we're going on rockets, aren't we? We're going on rockets, rockets carrying rockets, Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise you can't. You can't. You need a big, heavy lifter. So, so that's what SpaceX have got their Falcon lifter rocket, and that sort of takes up a, a capsule that then flies off by itself to Mars. But isn't it that um, so with SpaceX? So SpaceX is Elon Musk's company, and there there are various different sort of um, ideas on, on how you can get to Mars. And theirs is the Falcon rocket takes off from the Earth with with a capsule with the people in. Yeah. Then it. With what's it called? An Interplanetary Transporter System, something like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Uh, So the ITS, uh, and then it drops the ITS off, and then it goes back home. (laughs) Yeah, picks up more fuel. Yeah, flies back up again to the ITS, which I guess is just orbiting Earth. Yeah, and then gives it a load of fuel, and then the ITS toddles off. Although he's actually talking about having like a hundred of these ITSs go as a big fleet yeah which, which is amazing really, it's yeah. so like star wars yeah 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 <laughs> i mean you've got to admire the guy's ambition oh i love it i can't wait i'll watch it on tv yeah well you won't watch it on tv you'll be in one of them mate <laughs> we'll be doing the podcast live <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for fucking months <laughs> yeah we'll see i thought you said that this its was just staying in orbit <laughs> um but it is uh yeah i mean it's a funny old um it feels like quite a ham-fisted way of doing it somehow. What the else are you going to do? No, I, I know, but you, you know, you kind of go. But this is exactly how we w- we were doing it, or we would have done it fifty years ago. Yeah, there's yeah. no difference. Like, no. We still have this issue, which is we've got loads of fuel, and we can't take enough up in the first place. Yeah. So we have to sort of ferry it up. Yeah. Seems crazy. Well, it does, but I mean, you could use things like you know nuclear-powered spacecraft, but nobody wants to be aboard a nuclear-powered spacecraft. 
but, just I mean, in case that, something goes wrong. But I, I, I think mean, I feel like something might go wrong anyway. You're not. Yeah, we, we, you know, we have nuclear powered submarines. So, yeah. so you know, it, it just feels like NASA doesn't want to go there because if something goes wrong, you know, you're spraying radioactive material over the world. Um, Oh, you think NASA yeah. are just pussies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, so, so we're stuck with this kind of you know 1940s rocket technology still, yeah. aren't we? Which yeah, which doesn't I mean. seem good enough to me. No, I mean it will get us there, but yeah, there's a lot of work involved in just sort of getting the things ready and fueled mm. up, uh, and then once they're there, you know, you, you obviously have to have a lander that's got enough fuel to get back as well. Uh, so it is a bit of a faff. But then the other one, Mars One, the 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 Dutch mob. Yeah, they're just saying, listen. <laughs> get on the thing we'll, f- we'll fire you up there yeah and then you'll land on mars and then boohoo you're living on mars <laughs> you're so never they, coming back this is the incredible sort of budget airline version yeah. of spacex isn't it where yeah. where you you only buy a one-way ticket mm. and you get and you're there. on the website and you're looking yeah. for the i really want to get a return for like a month later <laughs> what's, what's that you're calling up the- <laughs> let's call that an open return <laughs> yeah i i'm i'm definitely less into that yeah so my tip would be to get the mars one one-way ticket and then actually steal the spacex lander to return or just climb aboard i think it's an irresponsible thing to advise brooksy i don't think you can tell people it's a good idea to go on mars one and then nick someone else's (laughs) spaceship if they've left the keys in the ignition kind of thing yeah I i mean do they even great question do they even have keys Probably not. Probably not, no. It's probably just a button. they're not worried about people nicking them. <laughs> no, no, and that no. is the opportunity right there. <laughs> okay, let's pretend that this stapler is the Hermes, and you are... Teddy. I'm the director of NASA. Cool, Teddy. You're Earth. And right now, the Hermes is headed towards you, starting its month-long deceleration to intercept. But instead, what I'm proposing is... We start accelerating immediately to preserve velocity and gain even more. We don't intercept with Earth at all, but we come close enough to get a gravity assist and adjust course. While we're doing that, we resupply with the probe. Food and supplies. Pick up whatever provisions we need, and now we're accelerating towards Mars. You're Mars. Now, we're going too fast at this point to fall into orbit, but we can do a flyby. What they would... Intercept using the MAV. And then we just head home. I've done the math. Checks out. Rich? Yes, sir. Get out. One of the bits of the, the film that I thought was maybe a little bit um, far-fetched was where the guy, the nerd guy, who's like quite low sort of low oh, level yeah, yeah. nerd yeah comes up with the the gravity assist trajectory thing that basically rescues the mission yeah and i was like but surely like there's a lot of very smart people in there and they would have thought about that sadly not no so this is actually i don't know whether andy weir was aware of it but people have come out since and said you know this actually happened with some missions there was a guy called uh, michael minovich who uh, analyzed sort of um various trajectories of one of the nasa missions the voyager program and and said actually guys there's a better way to do it you know the kind of nerd at the back sort of and and nobody really knew who he was but he turned out to be right so huh. so there is precedent for oh this. so that's uh, but maybe i suppose that's in the 70s yeah, I guess in if you assume that the Martian is kind of set present day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then I mean, gravity we, we, we would know is about a, this is now. A thing that yeah, we're, exactly. We're well aware of, isn't yeah, it? yeah. So we we've been using it really since the nineteen fifties, pretty yeah. much. So I think somebody came up with the idea in the like nineteen twenties or even tens or something like that. So a long time ago. Mm. But actually, you know, I think that the Russians were the first to use it. But it's a brilliant thing. I mean, you just use a planet's gravitational field to give you a little extra boost yeah. or to slow you down if, if that's what you need as well. So there are basically kind of recommended routes around space. Yeah, yeah. They, they actually call it the interplanetary superhighway. So there's... Very cool, guys. When, when you can... Um, you, you basically have a tube system when you account for all the gravitational fields of all the various sort of objects out there in the solar system. You can map your journey and, and almost you know, travel without fuel just by being pulled by the various sort of gravitational fields of these different things it's pretty amazing i like that i guess this is actually a bigger question in in some senses 
why are we going? <laughs> why? 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 I think why? It, what are you doing? It's a great question, isn't it? Because everybody talks about, like, oh, you know, we're going to go to Mars, we're going to have a colony. Very, very few people are asking why. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I'm not really convinced by any of the reasons. There, there are really two fundamental paths. History is going to bifurcate along two directions. One, one, one path is we stay on Earth forever, um, and then there will be some eventual extinction event. Um, I, I don't have an immediate doomsday prophecy, but there's, it's eventually history suggests there will be some, some doomsday event. Uh, the alternative is to become a space-faring civilization and a multi-planet species, which uh, I hope you would agree that is the right way to go. We are incredibly vulnerable to the whims of our own galaxy. A single large asteroid could take us out forever. To survive, we have to reach beyond the home planet. Think what a tragedy it would be if all that humans have accomplished were suddenly obliterated. And there's another reason we should go. Exploration is in our DNA. Two million years ago, humans evolved in Africa and then slowly but surely spread out across the entire planet by reaching into the wilderness that was beyond their horizons. This stuff is inside us. And they prospered doing that. Some of the greatest advances in civilization and technology came because we explored. Yes, we could do a lot of good with the money it will take to establish a thriving colony on Mars. On the 2020 lander, we are going to have uh, an experiment called MOXIE. That's the Mars Oxygen in situ resource unit uh, experiment and that experiment is going to be the pilot plant to make oxygen from the carbon dioxide in the Martian atmosphere to break it down from the carbon dioxide uh, to produce oxygen and then to uh, uh, see that we have a uh, reliable and efficient way of making at least in the first instance relatively small quantities of this oxygen uh, as a first step towards human exploration. Well the coolest thing about Mars is that it is in many ways Earth-like but it's definitely alien and different. I'm Joe Machowski, I'm a planetary geologist at the Natural History Museum in London. So what I personally think is the most interesting thing about that planet is that it's like a window into our own past. Not today. Today you see a really frozen desert planet, absolutely desolate. It'd be the worst place you'd ever want to be. But we can, we know from remote sensing data that there are these really old rocks that are 3.5, 3.7, 3.8, or 4 billion years old. And they contain minerals that formed in lakes and seas and in hydrothermal conditions underground. So what's really cool about that is that at the same time when they formed, say 3.8 billion years ago, on Earth, that's about when life probably formed on Earth. And it probably formed in the same kinds of environments. So, although we don't know the exact process, we think that the same kinds of conditions would have existed on Mars. And on Earth, all those rocks, or most of them, have been either removed, eroded, destroyed, subducted, or metamorphosed. That means they've been mashed up by tectonics. Those textures, the, the chemical signatures have all been overwritten. And therefore, it's very difficult to interpret the rock record on Earth, the really ancient rock record. But on Mars, that stuff's all preserved, and so we can actually... It's like a Rosetta Stone for the early Earth, if we can just go observe and collect and bring back those ancient rocks in order to understand life on Earth, because our crust is not well-preserved because our planet is more active. It's absolutely necessary to go to Mars, even if you don't care about space exploration, if you're just a geologist who studies Earth. It's really necessary to go to Mars to get a better picture of what the early solar system was like. Now, Brooksy, I found that quite interesting. You less so. <laughs> I did. I did feel that if you know, if you're that into geology, go to Dorset. But mm. um, cheaper. It is cheaper. It's quicker. Uh, obviously, but his, yeah. But his point is, his point it's is, not know, as good. I know, I know, I know. But it, it was a kind of point of like, if you're into geology, Mars is the place to go, which I, I totally get. But if I'm not that into geology, why am I going to Mars? And presumably, people who've signed up for Mars One are not all geologists. Oh right, well, Mars One is essentially just uh, a free for all, isn't it? Just anyone can apply. Yeah. 
and then and it's probably lunatics, um, and then stick them all on the stick them all on the ship and see what happens. Yeah, I don't think they're going up to examine the uh, geological yeah. record, the rock record of Mars. And, and of course, we can do geology with robots on Mars as well, just as easily as with humans. The point mm. about sending humans to Mars is obviously you can do some science, you can do some interesting things, and you can explore what it's like. But actually, overall, you know, Elon Musk's thing is that you know we just should have a human outpost. We should have you know not all our eggs in one basket, and and it should be that the you know if the if something happens to Earth, then you know we've got some humans left in the universe uh, who can start again on Mars. Well, that's exactly what um, Jeff Bezos thinks. So he's the the amazon multi-billionaire who uh owns blue origin yeah like another spacex and he thinks that the planet is screwed and that we have to go and colonize like it's not a it's not a kind of what it would be nice to um it's a necessity yeah um whereas uh dr joe um was saying it's a necessary to go to mars because uh the rock record is good yeah Um, different sort of (laughs) angles very different angles but the point that a lot of people have made is, you know, we need to go and see if there's microbial life up there. And if there is, then maybe that's what seeded life on Earth. So that would be a really interesting thing to, to be able to explore. We can be fairly sure that there is microbial life on Mars now, I would say. You know, we just haven't found it yet. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it wouldn't come as any surprise. And I think what would be really interesting would be to analyse it and find out whether it's the same kind of um, formulation as we have here. This is a carbon-based... Yeah, yeah, that kind of, um, you know, if it, look, if it looks like the seed for life on Earth, that would be really interesting. Yeah. The idea that, you know, some comet smashed into the surface of Mars, picked up some microbes, you know, then smashed into the surface of, of, of Earth and seeded life on Earth, that would be really interesting and that, that would be a great discovery visually very pleasing as well yeah. as a story of life just this kind of life comet just banging into yeah, stuff yeah yeah i like that if nasa go up they nasa's thing is that they don't like searching for life isn't it yeah they're not very keen because you get all kinds of problems with you know making claims about whether you found life or not and what is you know they've they've got into hot water in the past mm. um over claims that there was this alan hills meteorite which people found that said that it looked like it had fossilized life in it. And then lots of people said, no, 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 it doesn't. And it was all a bit embarrassing because it was a big press conference. Mm. I think Bill Clinton hosted the press conference for this. And then a few He's weeks, a few weeks later, it was a good I wasn't available. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a few weeks later, there was like, uh, maybe it isn't. Uh, they had the Viking landers in 1976, which, you know, there, there were initially claims of life that were then retracted. And I think so. So there tends to be now more. Let's look at habitability. Let's look at the signs that life could exist, rather than actually looking for you know existing life on Mars. But inevitably, if we go up there, like we're going to be looking for life. That's that's eventually. Be our first yeah, yeah. Sort of... I th- I think so. That would be my mm. first thing. You know, not that anybody ever asks me. No, I wonder why that is. I mean, you're so easy to get on with. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, going back to Bezos. And you know, it's sort of the Earth is fucked, and let's yeah. let's establish a colony. Uh, the Earth isn't fucked. We can do something about that. He just chooses not to spend his multi billions on actual sort of you know any environmental uh, projects that that actually might help. Yeah, I guess you could look at it like that. But I suppose that um, there's room for both approaches. There is, but I think you know. I mean, it, clearly. You know, I'm not saying that these people aren't essentially unhinged. They get so much money, they're <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, right, yeah. I've done everything I can on Earth. Yeah, Where's yeah. next? Well, that is that is the, the attitude, attitude, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. Elon Musk is all about, isn't yeah. it? It's like, what's, there's nothing interesting to do on I've Earth. I've made electric cars. So well, let's, uh, I mean, there's yeah. nothing else left for me. Let's go to Mars. And it's yeah. like a hobby project, isn't it? Mm. And I think both of them should be a bit more upfront about the fact that, do you know what? I just quite fancy this as a long-term project. You can keep your like model railway in the loft. I'm going to have a Mars colony. I think Elon Musk is a bit more like that. You get the sense that Elon Musk is, you know, he's having a good time. (laughs) I met a woman I I dated briefly in in college. um, who now works at Scientific American as a writer. And and she she related the anecdote that uh, we went on a date. All I was talking about was electric cars. We know that we can get to Mars and we will get to Mars. Could we survive there? Now, your position is that, yeah, definitely easy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's just a bit of guard piece of cake. Um, but we 
we actually asked the question to someone who um, is more qualified to have an opinion (laughs) than you. (laughs) Uh, So anyone. This person has sort of done it. Dr. Shana Gifford, who is the chief medic on the Mars 500 isolation mission. I think my favorite lesson from the Martian is space is hard. And I think people need to understand that loss is inevitable. And that the gain in the aggregate will be great, but much like much like how we settled the planet, for better and I hope hope not for worse, but I hope mostly for better, it's going to be a, a rocky ride and a bumpy road. It will be difficult and imperfect and there will be lots of loss. And we just have to keep our eyes on the gain and the goal and understand that those of us in the space program, much like Mark Watney, we've bought into the gains and the losses. And I hope that everybody understands and accepts that it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be easy, but it is going to be worth it. As the first female commander of an Ares mission, I was wondering if you feel any added pressure to the already intense levels of responsibility you're facing. Preparation for deep space is mostly social and psychological. So if you're going to send a certain type of person on these long duration missions, you want them to be the most socially capable, psychologically balanced person that you can locate. You want them to be, if anything, a social genius. Having them be a mechanical genius is great. Uh, Having them be a wizard at botany and crop growing and food culturing is, is excellent and essential, but if they're not also a social genius, they're not going to be able to contribute to the chief thing that you need to do out there, which is survive and thrive as a human in a community of other human beings. Let's talk about the exercise. So, 10 days. 10 nights. That's a long time for a man to be alone with himself. And what do you do when you're by yourself? It's a training that's ongoing. Ground support continues to monitor your social interaction over time and they provide support where there's gaps or where things are not going as well as they should. And in addition to that, the crew has to support each other. So there's always a time when you're gonna fall down. There's always a time when you're going to fall short of the mark. And in those moments, you either have to turn to your crew and ask for help or the crew just has to step in and say, you know what, looks like you could use a little bit of help here. We're going to help you now. So you can, I believe most people, if they really truly wish it and understand that being a socially balanced, calm, sane, supportive person is their goal in this mission. Their number one goal, apart from survival, is to be that person. And they're inclined to do it and they've been given some training and they continue to receive support. I think most people can do it. So Dr. Shana is saying she thinks most people could survive. Given support. Yeah. Yeah. I'm she's an optimist. You can hear it in her voice. About that. Yeah, nice voice. Very nice yeah. voice. Um I, I, I don't know. I no, mean, I, I, well I wouldn't want to be up there with most people, to be honest. No. I mean that's the thing. Well, the know, group dynamic is pretty key, isn't it? It is. And you see that in the movie, you know, they've got this fantastic group dynamic where, you know, there's a couple of them take the piss out of each other, you know, they and uh, you know, they all seem to get on and they like each other. Whereas if you put me together with like five random strangers who'd signed up for Mars One, I can almost guarantee you that we wouldn't all get on. Yeah, I can almost guarantee they wouldn't like you. <laughs> yeah, it's okay because I wouldn't like them either. I, 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 so I wonder with these um, isolation tests, how effective they are at modelling those conditions. I wonder if there is a. We've got no way to tell, have we? Um, no, no, and and because. You know, being being trapped in a in a, in a box for you know five hundred days or whatever, yeah, um, is but knowing that you are on Earth, and if there is a problem, you will, you know, you will walk yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it kind of like at the back of your mind that is always going to be present. Yeah. But when you're on a spaceship or you're on Mars, that um, kind of nagging like security essentially is yeah. going to be absent 
So you're sure yeah, you're a little gonna... bit unhinged already, aren't you? Because yeah. you know that it's a it's a stressful, extreme situation. Mm. I mean, if you're in the that um you know trip, that six month trip to Mars, and you're on a spacecraft and you're getting irradiated because there's lots of radiation that suddenly you're you're yeah. you know it, it, it's sort of within safety limits, but you're you're under a bit more stress. You're going to get colds because your immune system is compromised. You're going to be sleepless there's insomnia anxiety all those kinds of things are playing mm. in and then you've also got to get on with everyone else and and we know this doesn't work all the time because you know astronauts have fallen out with each other there's a couple of russian cosmonauts on salute 7 who didn't speak to each other for like six months <laughs> <laughs> great atmosphere guys thanks thanks so much <laughs> and um i mean you know the, the, nasa's had astronauts go on strike because they just felt they were being overworked That's back in the Skylab days. So, so it doesn't always work out. And the, you know, the Mars simulations on Earth, sometimes they work well and some others don't. So there was a case where in one of the simulations, uh, they formed, you know, ends up forming into cliques. And, you know, mm. they wouldn't help each other out if they weren't in, you know, if you weren't in with the in crowd, you didn't get the, you know, the helmet that you needed to go out and do your work, you know. Outside, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, you'd be, <laughs> I'd yeah, be running you'd be a, a click, nightmare. Mate. Don't worry yeah. about that. Yeah, it'd be Lord of the Flies all over again. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. <laughs> if I'm an astronaut, I'm thinking very carefully about going on strike, by the way, because it feels like I might be cutting my nose off to spite my face. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was only a day or something like that. But they, mm. I think they know that mission control has to support them and has suppose, to be nice yeah. to them. Yeah, the press is not going to look kind of if they just like cut them off and say, right, cut yeah. off walking. If you're going to behave like that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> we're, we're out. <laughs> so, the, um, yeah. the the radiation stuff, I guess, is touched on a a bit in the in the film. It says he's kind of, he has a, like the tent, the the kind of the, 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 the hab that he's in, yeah. kind of is, is maybe has some water in the, uh, in its, and it's lining, and that's protecting from yeah, radiation. Yeah. But radiation is a factor, isn't it? It is a factor. You have to you have to protect, especially during the journey. Um, so the journey to Mars, you're obviously going through deep space. Uh, you've got um, cosmic rays, you know, particles that just fly through space, which are you know ionizing radiation. They will you know tear into your DNA. Wicked. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know the the levels are okay. We know that the levels are okay because we've monitored them sort of on on Mars rover journeys. But uh, if there's a solar flare, if, if suddenly the sun becomes really active or whatever, those radiation levels go right up. Mm. And Mars once said if they detect that, you know, that you get a, a heightened activity, then you're all going to have to go inside the hollow water tank inside the Mars One space thing. So so they have this like, you know, what's supposed to be the water for you to drink and everything else. But it's actually it's held in a hollow tank that everyone can climb inside at high, times of heightened solar activity. And you imagine that they reckon that it's probably going to be like a week of the journey that you spend in there in close, close proximity with everyone else. Fuck that. <laughs> no, it, no, no. It's no, the small no. print that puts you off on the on this journey what, to Mars. Getting in a water tank with a load of losers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not up for that. So imagine if you're like already a bit cheesed off with mm. them. And, and then, then suddenly a solar flare pops up. And yeah. You're like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm going to take. <laughs> That's your <laughs> worst risk day it. ever. Yeah. I'm going to get a hell of a tan. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, but the, so cosmic rays, uh, this this might be a, an, an obvious point, but cosmic rays we don't have uh, a problem with on Earth because of the Earth's magnetic field. Yeah, right? so so it we just acts as a sort of we shield. are protected because it it deflects them, so they're yeah. they're, they're uh, charged, so they're deflected by the the Earth's magnetic shield. Can you not have something similar on a spaceship? Uh, no, you can have sort of lining. Don't say no to me. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you, you, you can line it with metal, which will absorb some of them. Mm. Uh, but obviously that weighs a lot, so you don't want yeah, to do too much yeah. of that. And the thing about the Earth's magnetic field is they... they these things are traveling really fast so it takes a while to bend them away from you know from oh, right, I see. so you know uh, if you set up a really really strong magnetic field around your spaceship that would deflect cosmic rays then it's also going to probably you know, affect your health inside as well okay fine fine i'm just thinking just trying to help out <laughs> so we know we can get there uh we know that we can possibly survive with the right kind of Oh yeah, um, yeah, we, you know, definitely. With, with the right botanists, um, yeah. and uh, you know, if we can generate oxygen for, um, well, obviously for breathing and for fuel, so we can hopefully come back. Um, but I still think the question has to be: Would I? Would I want to? Like, is it just gonna? Is it just gonna drive me totally mad? In terms of the mission, do you have any fears? 
As a, as a doctor, you're accustomed to high-stress environments, matters of life and death on a daily basis. He's 50 million miles away from home. He thinks he's totally alone. He thinks we gave up on him. And what does that do to him psychologically? Well, we spoke about this to PhD research student at the University of Antwerp, Angelique van Ombergen, uh, and psychologist Dr. Sarita Robinson from the University of Central Lancaster. The impact of the brain during space travel is a bit, it's a bit of a broad question because the brain can be impacted in several ways and also on several levels. Um, for example, in it, one important factor is that we know that there's a redistribution of fluids um, in microgravity. Uh, on Earth, we have this constant pull of gravity, uh, leading to the fact that our blood and our fluids will pull in our lower limbs. However, in microgravity, this gravity pull is lost, and therefore more blood and fluids will go to, to our head and to our brain. And maybe you've seen this, but if you see pictures from astronauts on the ISS, they have this typical puffy face. And this is actually the example of the fact that there's more fluid in the head and in the brain. Um, previous studies from animals have also shown that, for example, the brain changes structurally, so really in the, the gross anatomy will change, and also vestibular-related brain areas, so areas in the brain that deal with information coming from the vestibular system, so our balance system in our inner ear, that those uh, were actually altered, but this was also expected because space travel really holds a serious challenge for both the motor system and the vestibular system. So also here, there are a lot of different aspects that can have an impact on the, the different uh, physiological systems in the human body. Um, microgravity is obviously a very important one, but also cosmic radiation, noise and disturbed circadian rhythm, so day and night rhythm, can also have a serious impact on the human body. For example, the musculoskeletal system, by which I mean our bones and muscles, we know that they are affected uh, very much, but also the cardiovascular system, the immune system, hormonal changes may occur, and so on and so on. And that's actually the unique thing about space, um, the fact that it affects all these systems at the same time, which makes it actually a very um, challenging environment for human beings to be in. And therefore, the ISS can actually be considered as a very interesting science lab, so to say. But also, it's crucial to investigate all these changes occurring in these different uh, physiological systems in order to allow us to develop more efficient countermeasures, which could counteract all these changes that take place. For example, um, we know that astronauts have a lot of muscle atrophy, and um, something that we can do to counteract this is um, exposing them to uh, lots of exercise, up to four hours a day. What's really interesting is in the last uh, few years, studies on mice have shown some really unexpected effects on certain parts of the brain. Uh, so, for example, a part of the brain that's involved in memory processing called the hippocampus uh, can have changes in the sort of cells and the neuronal, neuronal structures uh, within the brain. And that means that people might exhibit problems with memory uh, that could be fairly mission critical or in the longer term we might see astronauts suffering from some sort of neurocognitive problems such as dementia on return. But I should say that these changes uh, have only really been seen in mice as a result of the space radiation. Right, well, none of that made me think <laughs> I want to go to space. Can I add some, something else? Yes. There was a study out earlier that this year where they showed that the Apollo astronauts who went to the moon get uh, five times the rate of cardiovascular disease, heart disease, than the ones who stayed in low Earth orbit because the radiation, because of radiation. destroyed the cells in their sort of uh, oh, arteries. Great stuff. I want somebody to go to Mars. I just don't want it to be me. Yeah. The with a head my size and your size, the last thing either of us needs is puffy space face. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And there's so many. I mean, there's you know, nausea. Even the astronauts get sort of space sick. Of course first. they do. Yeah, horrible sort of dizziness, vomiting. Four hours of exercise a day. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, a, I'm, I'm wasting away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you end up passing it's... kidney stones because you, you know you're, the gravity means that you're um, you're leaching sort of all the n vitamins and. Uh, uh, what they call minerals out of your bones. 
Oh yeah, so my bones are getting weaker. Your bones aren't they? are getting weaker. I'm sucking calcium your out. Muscles, like your no muscles tomorrow. are going. Uh, your face is puffy. But actually, I mean, all, all of that stuff. I kind of go well. Maybe when I get back to Earth, I can kind of sort it out. But structural brain changes. Yeah, that's problematic, isn't it? No. Yeah. I really, I, I'm, I'm not having it. But my, you know, hopefully, all the Mars one be. Oh no, because we won't be able to do tests on the Mars one. No, people, the Mars one because they're not coming back. There. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose what you're what you're interested in actually is you want the Mars one people to and presumably this is part of the idea to breed and yeah. then you want them to study like the you know the brains and stuff of their kids just obviously I mean, it's ethically <laughs> dubious but that's what you want isn't it but you know there's no ethics board on mars is there good point but i mean the the, the whole thing of um your motor system and your uh, your like your balance system all being shot potentially yeah. Yeah. by going to mars or just travelling in in space for long distances yeah doesn't make it appealing at no, all. No, this is what I've been trying to get across. Yeah. Do you think that people uh, are being sufficiently warned about that when won- they're signing up? I wonder how small the small print is. Yeah. But, um, you know, there are people who want to go just because it's, you know, it's something to do, isn't it? It's something to mm. do with their lives. And, you know, I can understand that sense of, you know, if you are the first person to set foot or in the first troop to set foot on Mars, that's an amazing thing to do with yeah. your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give them that. So I do want people to go. You know, every time I look at the moon, I think it's amazing that people have stood on the moon. Yeah. It, just, it, it blows my mind every single time. And so, you know, I want to feel the same about Mars. Mm. I just don't want it to be me. Mm. And you know, it strikes me it's a bit like that kind of pioneering from you know the Europeans who went to North America. It's that sense of, you know, a massive journey, a massive unknown. Obviously, we've got to all pull together and get on with each other. And, it, you know, there is that pioneering thing. I can see why people go. But that was sort of out of desperation, whereas this is just a voluntary kind of, you know, let's go and see what's out there. And my life isn't bad enough that I need to do that. Hmm. Yet. Yet. I think I'm definitely not going on Mars 1. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not just going. No. <laughs> if I'm going, I'm also coming back. All right. If Elon Musk said, Rick, there's a space available... Yeah, 2022, and the money was right. Um, yeah, I'm assuming he's paying me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and obviously other stuff has, has dried up by this point. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, your yeah. career's on the slide. Oh yeah, well I'd be absolutely thrilled to get the call. Yeah, I think. How long am I going for? Do you reckon? Okay, let's. You're out there. You're out there for six am months. I, am I six months? Yeah, you're there doing, and back. You're doing. Let's Is say it you've six got, months to get there. Four no, months. I'll give I you four do, months. Give me to four go months there. to get there. All right. Four months to get back. We'll just say yeah. that you know everything's aligning nicely, yeah. and you've got to stay there for six months. Yeah. And during that time, you've just got to kind of host, you know, Mars Celebrity Big Brother kind of thing. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? That's pretty good, isn't it? Being yeah. the first person to host a live off-planet, off-planet reality you show. You would so say yes to that. I would. You've said yes to a lot worse than that. I have. And I'm genuinely thinking, why, why aren't I pitching this to Elon Musk right now? <laughs> I'm just, I mean, this sounds like a joke. I'm just writing it down. Space reality. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you remember Space Cadets on Channel 4? Yeah. yeah. It was not, not great, but like a nice idea. But that for real. That for real. Exactly. Is, is amazing. And you're in. And I am in. Yeah. And so I'm away for just over a year. Yeah. That's fine. That's like, I was uh, like thinking about doing the Formula One. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Never at home for a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with worse stuff happening to your brain yeah. <laughs> and your bones. Yeah, and your bones and your puffy face. Obviously, yeah. that's not going to look good on camera, is it? The puffy face. No, but I'm just, I mean, obviously, this is all in negotiations. I'd make sure I had a pretty good makeup artist up there. Right, okay. <laughs> that's the thing, actually. You're not going to be able to get the best people. <laughs> you don't have to go with whoever wants to make. <laughs> You'd be lucky to get your face on the camera at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you just use like a fisheye lens. That'd <laughs> be fine. <laughs> So basically, if there's a, yeah, I think I am. I think I'm doing it for for 14 months. Say, I think I'm doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. As a sort of finale to your career. Mm, that's the great thing. I think it would actually really give it the um, give it the push it needs. <laughs> I think when I came back and my face sort of calmed down a bit, <laughs> it does calm down. And your skinny it? little chicken legs have yeah, gone away because yeah. all the muscle wasted. Oh and... yeah, I'm gonna. Oh my god, I'm gonna look like a potato on legs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fine. No, I think I'm Okay, good. he's in, Mr. Musk. Uh, <clears throat> well, he's certainly someone I've, my, uh, I've admired. Um, although I, I did try to talk to him once at a party, and he was super rude to me. Yeah, I'm in. Elon, call me. You know, please talk to me. 
So uh, our three questions were: How do we get there? Not, it's not fine. impossible. Not really a problem. It's, a problem. it's just old school rocket. Yeah, yeah. Really old school. Same. I mean, has fuel really come on much? Not really. Not no. really. No. Maybe a bit better, but basically, old school rocket. Load of fuel. Yeah. And just get up there. Yeah. Um. So that's fine. Uh. How do we? How do we live up there? Trickier because there's obviously lots of um, medical concerns. Yeah. But possible live in a little kind of tent, essentially. Grow food. We'll survive up there. Yeah. And then the last question was basically would we want to or is it just going to send us mad? And I think that's really the crux. Um, yeah. I think it might well send you mad. I would argue that people who are going there are probably a little bit mad already mm. and it's not going to help being on Mars. Yeah. So unlucky, guys. Still, they'll be the last outpost of humanity. So so everyone will think of us really well, won't they? If, 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 if we all die and they survive. Just a hundred lunatics. <laughs> yeah, that's depressing. It's like being represented at the United Nations by Millwall fans. We're not sending Millwall fans up, are we? <laughs> well, maybe we not are. Not a bad idea. Effectively. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good for the TV show. <laughs> Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producer was Hannah Walker-Brown, and this show featured Dr. Joe Mikowski, Dr. Shana Gifford, Dr. Sarita Robinson, and Angelique Van Ombergen with thanks to Colin Smith and Professor Tom Pike. Read that perfectly, even though I've got a brace. Thank you. Brace, brace. Stop it. <laughs>